0: Chapter Nineteen of Brood of the Witch Queen by Sax Romer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Nineteen Anthropomancy. There is no one here. Sime looked about the place excitedly. Fortunately for us, answered Dr. Cairn. He breathed rather heavily yet with his exertions, and, moreover, the air of the chamber was disgusting, but otherwise he was perfectly calm, although his face was pale and bathed in perspiration. "'Make as little noise as possible!' Syme, who now that the place proved to be empty, began to cast off that dread which had possessed him in the passageway, found something ominous in the words. Dr. Cairn, stepping carefully over the rubbish of the floor, advanced to the east corner of the chamber, waving his companion to follow. Side by side they stood there. "'Do you notice that the abominable smell of the incense is more overpowering here than anywhere?' Syme nodded. "'You are right. What does that mean?' Dr. Cairn directed the ray of light down behind a little mound of rubbish into a corner of the wall. It means, he said, with a subdued expression of excitement, that we have got to crawl in there. Syme stifled an exclamation. One of the blocks of the bottom tier was missing, a fact which he had not detected before by reason of the presence of the mound of rubbish before the opening. Silence again, whispered Dr. Cairn. He lay down flat, and without hesitation crept into the gap. As his feet disappeared, Sime followed. Here it was possible to crawl upon hands and knees. The passage was formed of square stone blocks. It was but three yards or so in length. Then it suddenly turned upward at a tremendous angle of about one and four. Square footholds were cut in the lower face. The smell of incense was almost unbearable. Dr. Cairn bent to Sime's ear. "'Not a word, now,' he said." "'No light. Pistol ready.' He began to mount. Sime, following, counted the steps. When they had mounted sixty, he knew that they must have come close to the top of the original mastaba, and close to the first stage of the pyramid. Despite the shaft beneath, there was little danger of falling, for one could lean back against the wall while seeking for the foothold above. Dr. Cairn mounted very slowly, fearful of striking his head upon some obstacle. Then, on the seventieth step, he found that he could thrust his foot forward, and that no obstruction met his knee. They had reached a horizontal passage. Very softly he whispered back to Syme, "'Take my hand. I have reached the top.' They entered the passage. The heavy, sickly, sweet odor almost overpowered them, but grimly set upon their purpose, they, after one moment of hesitancy, crept on. A fitful light rose and fell ahead of them, it gleamed upon the polished walls of the corridor in which they now found themselves, that inexplicable light burning in a place which had known no light since the dim ages of the early pharaohs. The events of that incredible night had afforded no such emotion as this, this was the crowning wonder, and, in its dreadful mystery, the crowning terror of Midom. When first that lambent light played upon the walls of the passage, both stopped, stricken motionless with fear and amazement. Syme, who would have been prepared to swear that the Midem pyramid contained no apartment other than the king's chamber, now was past mere wonder, past conjecture. But he could still fear. Dr. Cairn, although he had anticipated this, temporarily also fell a victim to the supernatural character of the phenomenon. They advanced. They looked into a square chamber of about the same size as the king's chamber. In fact, although they did not realize it until later, this second apartment, no doubt, was situated directly above the first. The only light was that of a fire burning in a tripod, and by means of this illumination which rose and fell in a strange manner it was possible to perceive the details of the place. BUT, INDEED, AT THE MOMENT THEY WERE NOT CONCERNED WITH THESE. THEY HAD EYES ONLY FOR THE BLACK-ROBED FIGURE BESIDE THE TRIPOD. IT WAS THAT OF A MAN WHO STOOD WITH HIS BACK TOWARDS THEM, AND HE CHANTED MONOTONOUSLY IN A TONGUE UNFAMILIAR TO SIGN. AT CERTAIN POINTS IN HIS CHANT HE WOULD RAISE HIS ARMS IN SUCH A WAY THAT, CLAD IN THE BLACK ROBE, HE ASSUMED THE APPEARANCE OF A GIGANTIC BAT, each time that he acted thus the fire in the tripod as if fanned into new life would leap up casting a hellish glare about the place then as the chanter dropped his arms again the flame would drop also a cloud of reddish vapour flowed low in the apartment there were a number of curiously shaped vessels upon the floor and against the farther wall only rendered visible when the flames leapt high was some motionless white object, apparently hung from the roof. Dr. Cairn drew a hissing breath and grasped Symes's wrist. "'We are too late,' he said strangely. He spoke at a moment when his companion, peering through the ruddy gloom of the place, had been endeavouring more clearly to perceive that ominous shape which hung horrible in the shadow. He spoke, too, at a moment when the man in the black robe raised his arms." when, as if obedient to his will, the flames leapt up fitfully. Although Syme could not be sure of what they saw, the recollection came to him of words recently spoken by Dr. Cairn. He remembered the story of Julian the Apostate, Julian the Emperor, the Necromancer. He remembered what had been found in the Temple of the Moon after Julian's death. He remembered that Lady Lashmore— and thereupon he experienced such a nausea that but for the fact that Dr. Cairn gripped him he must have fallen. Tutored in a materialistic school, he could not even now admit that such monstrous things could be. With a necromancer operation taking place before his eyes, with the unholy perfume of the secret incense all but suffocating him, with the dreadful oracle dully gleaming in the shadows of that temple of evil, his reason would not accept the evidences any man of the ancient world of the middle ages would have known that he looked upon a professed wizard upon a magician who according to one of the most ancient formulae known to mankind was seeking to question the dead respecting the living but how many modern men are there capable of realizing such a circumstance how many who would accept the statement that such operations are still performed, not only in the East, but in Europe? How many who, witnessing this mass of Satan, would accept it for verity, would not deny the evidence of their very senses? He could not believe such an orgy of wickedness possible. A pagan emperor might have been capable of these things, but today wondrous is our faith in the virtue of today." am i mad he whispered hoarsely or a thinly veiled shape seemed to float out from that still form in the shadows it assumed definite outlines it became a woman beautiful with a beauty that could only be described as awful she wore upon her brow the uraeus of ancient egyptian royalty her sole garment was a robe of finest gauze like a cloud like a vision she floated into the light cast by the tripod a voice a voice which seemed to come from a vast distance from somewhere outside the mighty granite walls of that unholy place spoke the language was unknown to sign but the fierce hand grip upon his wrist grew fiercer that dead tongue that language unspoken since the dawn of christianity was known to the man who had been the companion of sir michael ferrara in upon Syme swept a swift conviction that one could not witness such a scene as this and live and move again amongst one's fellow men. In a sort of frenzy, then, he wrenched himself free from the detaining hand and launched a retort of modern science against the challenge of ancient sorcery. Raising his browning pistol, he fired shot after shot at that bat-like shape which stood between himself and the tripod a thousand frightful echoes filled the chamber with a demon mockery boomed along those subterranean passages beneath and bore the conflict of sound into the hidden places of the pyramid which had known not sound for untold generations my god vaguely he became aware that dr cairn was seeking to drag him away through a cloud of smoke he saw the black-robed figure turn dream fashion he saw the pallid glistening face of anthony ferrara the long evil eyes alight like the eyes of a serpent were fixed upon him he seemed to stand amid a chaos in a mad world beyond the borders of reason beyond the dominions of god but to his stupefied mind one astounding fact found access he had fired at least seven shots at the black-robed figure and it was not humanly possible that all could have gone wide of their mark yet antony ferrara lived utter darkness blotted out the evil vision then there was a white light ahead and feeling that he was struggling for sanity sime managed to realize that dr cairn retreating along the passage was crying to him in a voice rising almost to a shriek to run run for his life for his salvation you should not have fired he seemed to hear Unconscious of any contact with the stones, although afterwards he found his knees and shins to be bleeding, he was scrambling down that long sloping shaft. He had a vague impression that Dr. Cairn, descending beneath him, sometimes grasped his ankles and placed his feet into the footholds. A continuous roaring sound filled his ears, as if a great ocean were casting its storm waves against the structure around him. The place seemed to rock. Down flat! Some sense of reality was returning to him. Now he perceived that Dr. Cairn was urging him to crawl back along the short passage by which they had entered from the king's chamber. Heedless of hurt, he threw himself down and pressed on. A blank, like the sleep of exhaustion which follows delirium, came. Then Syme found himself standing in the king's chamber. Dr. Cairn, who held an electric lamp in his hand beside him, and half supporting him, the realities suddenly reasserting themselves. "'I've dropped my pistol!' muttered Syme. He threw off the supporting arm and turned to that corner behind the heap of debris, where was the opening through which they had entered the Satanic temple. No opening was visible. "'He has closed it!' cried Dr. Cairn. "'There are six stone doors between here and the place above. If he had succeeded in shutting one of them before we—' My God, whispered Syme, let us get out. I am nearly at the end of my tether. Fear lends wings, and it was with something like the lightness of a bird that Syme descended the shaft. At the bottom, onto my shoulders, he cried, looking up. Dr. Cairn lowered himself to the foot of the shaft. You go first, he said. He was gasping as if nearly suffocated, but retained a wonderful self control once over into the borderland and bravery assumes a new guise the courage which can face physical danger undaunted melts in the fires of the unknown sime his breath whistling sibilantly between his clenched teeth hauled himself through the low passage with incredible speed the two worked their way arduously up the long slope they saw the blue sky above them something like a huge bat said robert cairn crawled out upon the first stage we both fired dr cairn raised his hand he lay exhausted at the foot of the mound he had lighted the incense he replied and was reciting the secret ritual i cannot explain but your shots were wasted we came too late lady lashmore until the pyramid of maydum is pulled down stone by stone the world will never know her fate Simon and i have looked in at the gate of hell only the hand of god plucked us back Look. He pointed to sime. He lay pallid with closed eyes, and his hair was abundantly streaked with white. End of chapter nineteen. Read by Don W. Jenkins. Rancho San Diego, California.